You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. As several people have called in, several dozen people have called in to point out, we didn't talk on the show about the repeal at long last of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or the passage of civil unions in Illinois. Both huge victories uh, in the struggle for gay rights, and I am, of course, all over those those victories in the struggle for gay rights. The reason we didn't cover it was we banked a few shows in advance. That means, of course, that the show where I opened talking about how we're going to all get behind Obama now uh, as he faces off with the Republican majority in the House and we bear down on 2012, recorded before DADT passed. So it wasn't uh, because of DADT's passage that I was buddying back up to the president because I'm a realist and not a single-issue voter. Uh, although now, of course, with DADT passed, I am much more uh, delighted with the White House than I have been for the last couple of years. It would be nice to see them drop their defense of the Defense of Marriage Act, which the Justice Department is still defending aggressively, but whatever. We're on much better terms now, me and uh, the man in the White House. So I apologize to everyone who wanted to hear what we had thought about DADT being repealed. We think it's awesome. Uh, we couldn't cover it because we banked some shows. And we banked some shows because it was the holidays. Also because I was finishing up the It Gets Better book, which is coming out in March. Finishing that up over the holidays. That was a huge kidney stone to pass. Uh, but that's going to be coming out. I hope you're all looking forward to that. It's really terrific and tremendous. And there are a lot of embellished transcripts of videos that you've seen at the It Gets Better Project's website, which is at itgetsbetter.org, and new essays from people like Michael Cunningham and other very brilliant writers that you're really going to want to see when that book comes out. Speaking of It Gets Better, did you catch this on YouTube? Amanda is in gym class where the kids go to get fit, but her eyes not on the ball at all. It's on Miss Foster's tip. She's got a dirty little Joining me by phone is Rebecca Drysdale, who is the New York City-based artist behind what is, in my mind now, the definitive It Gets Better anthem. Thank you for joining us today, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks for saying that. That's huge. I appreciate it. Uh, I was blown away when I when I watched that. Thank it's you. so moving and smart and well produced. People really need to get online and check out the video. It's all over the itgetsbetter.org website. Oh, good. Uh, and tell us about it. Tell us about its genesis. Um, I uh, started, you know, watching the videos, and I think I started watching them sort of at the beginning of November when the sort of celebrity voice started pitching in. And there were a bunch of sort of, you know, celebrity medley, it gets better videos uh, coming out. And that was sort of the first I'd really caught wind of, of what was going on. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a comedy writer. And my first instinct was like, ooh, this is juicy. How can I sort of get my hands on this and do something really fun with it? And then sort of realized that, you know, this is one thing that I actually really care about. And I'd rather just do something 
you know, fun and entertaining that was still, you know, mattered and mattered and, and did the same job. And it's still hilarious. Like, you watch this and it's very heartfelt and the, the, the stories you create about the kind of queer high school archetype characters are really moving. It's just it's just genius. And uh, I'm so thrilled with it and I want to thank you. And at the end of your video, you, you say some really smart things that we're constantly pointing out, that queer kids aren't the only kids who are bullied uh, in school. And you point out that there were, what, you said 50, 60 people involved in the production of the, 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 the song and the Something video? Something like that, yeah. We had about 35 extras, and then we had our crew and directors and music people. You know, uh, I teach I teach writing and comedy here in New York, so I have this sort of, you know, w- mailing list of, of people in the improv community, which is, for the most part, a fairly straight community. And people were just pouring out to, you know, to support it and came and stayed for 16 hours and I offered them a Subway sandwich and they were happy to sit there and, and be a part of it, you know. And I, I I live in this community that isn't primarily gay but couldn't care less than I am and is <laughs> much more interested in, you know, making comedy together and improvising together. So it's been a, it's, it was a really amazing turnout for a lot of people who saw what was happening and wanted to be a part of it even though they weren't gay themselves. And that's an important message for a lot of uh, gay kids out there. I think when you're under siege and you're a gay kid in an environment where you're being bullied and picked on entirely by people who are straight or straight identified, because sometimes the bullies in the end are gay themselves and working through it in a very uh, obnoxious manner, uh, you can begin to identify straight people as the enemy. And those of us who are grown-up queers, we know that straight people aren't the enemy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, the... My best, my closest friends are straight people, and right. straight people are awesome, and they are, actually are everywhere. Unlike us, we are not everywhere there. Well, and that ultimately, the idea is, you know, that it shouldn't matter, and you should be able to know people who are straight and gay and everything else, and that that's not the thing that you're talking around talking about around the dinner table anyway. You know, uh, and so yeah, I'm lucky that I, I I'm in this community where there's you know a handful a handful of gay people here and there, but it's just not what it's about. My experience was much more about uh, that growing up, too. You know, I was I was made fun of for other reasons earlier uh, before this whole gay thing even came about for me. So that's something that I just wanted to get out there, because I know if I was a kid who was, you know, being shoved into lockers for some other reason and this whole it gets better thing was happening, I'd definitely have a little bit of a what about me feeling. So I wanted to add that. What's the response been to the video? Um, it's been huge. I don't really, I don't really know exactly how to track it. And it's it's wonderful. And there's never been a line quite like swimming through your pussy vault like Scrooge McFucking. Well, that McDuck. was actually that was actually the line that inspired the song. It's it's tremendous. And it sort of flew out of my mouth, like you know, one day these kids are going to be you know swimming through their pussy vaults. And I was like, well, that's a song. That has legs. <laughs> that's enough. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that sort of inspired the tone, which is why, unfortunately, for some people, it's a, it's a little, you know, foul-mouthed. But, hey, you know, fuck, the, 
fuck those people. One of the ways it gets better when you get to be a grown-up is you get to have sex, you get to swim through pussy vaults, you get your dick sucked, you get to say what you want, say what's on your mind, and use the language that adults use when they talk about life. And everything doesn't have to be sanitized for, for yeah. kids and teenagers. I've had some feedback that was like, you know, you really shot yourself in the foot by with the language because, you know, you're preventing it from going, you know, really mainstream. And I kind of was like, well, hey, that wasn't really the point. Everybody needs to get online and listen to the song, and I can totally see this being played in clubs, and I expect it. And it's available in iTunes now, and I expect that it will be played in clubs this well, week. That is terrifying. It's very <laughs> exciting, but that's terrifying. No, it's amazing. Where can people find out more about uh, your other work? Where, where should they go online um, to read about you? I have a website that's www.rebeccadrysdale.com. So well, thank you so much for doing it, and thanks for joining us. Thanks today, so Rebecca. much for having me, Dan, and thank you for starting this whole thing in the in the first place. It's, it's such an amazing thing. I'm glad to be a part of it. It's only amazing because so many people have jumped in and contributed, and thank you. Dan, I'm calling because I just found out my ex-boyfriend and roommate is masturbating in my underwear. Um, to start at the beginning of the story is that uh, we've been living together for about a year, uh, but we've been broken up for over three years. Um, or just about three years. Uh, we never lived together as a couple, but and we've remained really good friends since our breakup. Um, and he's been one of the most caring, supportive friends anyone could ever ask for. But uh, but there's always but. Uh, a few months ago, um, I came home really drunk one night, um, blackout drunk, and um, he was home. He was sober, and um, we had sex. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember how it happened and he didn't realize that I was already like blacked out at that point. Um, and so when I woke up the next day, I felt really, I was really uncomfortable about it because I just didn't know what happened. Um, when I talked to him about it like a week or so later, cause I just had maxed out on feeling uncomfortable. Um, he was really apologetic. He had no idea that I was blacked out at that point. Um, he thought I was just sort of like buzz drunk, but still like able to make decisions. So I felt really okay about how we talked it out. Um, I felt okay about it. There were, you know, there were times where like we'd be a little, we'd be like snuggling on the couch and it would just the way he would touch me would make me like tense up and bristle. But I just always figured that was me having some residual yuckiness about, about the, about the hookup, um, which that I was pr like pretty much over that at this point. But, uh, a few days ago I was in his room and found an old pair of my underwear, like from, from back when he and I were dating. Um, I haven't had them in a while. I don't know how long he's had them. Um, and at first I was excited because I hadn't seen them in so long. And then I opened them up and realized what was inside them. Um, and it looked like it had been used like multiple times. I feel really rattled by this because it's my underwear. Like it's not just some rag, it's my underwear, like definitely no one else's but mine. 
and we lived together and I don't like, is this a case where I just get some brain bleach and let this go? Do, do I talk to him about this? He's not really dating. He's kind of in a rough spot right now um, in terms of being unemployed, but trying to get his life back together. I just kind of feel like what happened a few months ago was sort of a mutual bad decision or a mutual just ambiguous gray that was regrettable but wasn't malicious. And I don't, I don't think this is either, but I can't get the, get the sight. I just can't get it out of my head that he's masturbating into a pair of my underwear when we haven't been together in so long. Um, and regardless of whether or not I should talk to him about this, is this something I should even, is this something that I should tell my girlfriend about or just pretend like it doesn't exist? Ooh. You could cut him some slack. You could get some brain bleach. Maybe, maybe on the sleeping with you when you were blackout drunk. Some people, when they are blackout drunk, uh, don't seem drunk or just seem, as he claimed, tipsy and will initiate will initiate sex, will be the aggressor, you know, and it becomes very great. Hard to prove exactly what happened. The only person who was there who was sober was him, and you have to take his word for it. And maybe you could take his word for it if it weren't for the underwear thing, obviously, and the moments on the couch where the touching made you uncomfortable. Obviously, this relationship isn't over for him, and he carries a torch and a hard-on for you. And it's inappropriate for him to be laying in wait like a spider in a web for you to be vulnerable and take advantage as he's beating off into your underwear in the other room when you're not shit-faced fucking drunk. It's also inappropriate for you to rely on this guy for his emotional support. You say, you're, you know, you really intimate relationship. He's your best friend, blah, blah. So you, he may feel that you are exploiting him for the kind of emotional uh, intimacy uh, that, you know, somebody in a relationship provides, yet he's being denied the sexual intimacy that often comes with it. Just, it's a big, fucking, messy, ugly situation, and you need to move. It's not your responsibility that he's in a bad way, that he's unemployed right now. None of that is your responsibility. You, you are not obligated to hang out in this house with someone who has fucked you when you're blackout drunk and is beating off into your underwear and makes you uncomfortable when he touches you on the couch. You're not obligated to hang out with him, to live with him, to sign leases with him, because you feel sorry for him. You need to go. You need to move. You need to say, I'm uncomfortable living here now because of the sex, the underwear. Tell him. Tell him you found it. The sex, the underwear, the touching. Obviously, this isn't a healthy situation for you, uh, and it's no longer feeling like a safe roommate situation for me. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One to consider is Sex Wise by Susie Bright, who is brilliant and funny and insightful uh, and wise about sex. And she's always an entertaining read and a terrific listen. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm an 18-year-old bisexual male here in Portland. Um, in a few days, I'll be meeting up with this girl for coffee. And uh, I kind of want to have a friends with benefits arrangement with her. Um, we we haven't known each other for a really long time, and I don't really want to ask her out because I have a boyfriend. 
I don't see him very often, and it's a very long relationship. And we made it very clear that we weren't exclusive, um, especially when we're so far apart. So, I mean, I don't really want to get into an actual relationship with someone. So that'd be kind of awkward and weird. But I don't, how do I propose a friends with benefits relationship? I mean, I, I just, I'm just kind of weirded out by it. And I guess this is also my fear of rejection coming in, but I, I just don't know how to ask this girl kind of out, but not really, but still kind of. You say you don't want to get into a relationship with this person. You don't want to get in a relationship with anyone besides the relationship you're in right now. And then you say, but how do I get into a friends with benefits, dot, dot, dot. And then you use the word relationship. A friends with benefits arrangement is a relationship. You are getting into a, a sexual relationship with someone. Uh, and you should, you need to treat it like one. When you're in a relationship, you have to be considerate, you have to be kind, you have to be thoughtful, you have to be good giving in game. FWBs, those are relationships. They're not very serious relationships. They're not, you think, at least at the outset, going to be long-term or lifelong relationships, although sometimes that happens. So how do you approach this person? You approach her like you're asking her out, like you're proposing that you have a sort of relationship with her, an actual relationship with her, not a sort of relationship. And you say, hey, you're fun and hot and my life's a little complicated. I'm 18 and bi and I have a boyfriend. He lives far away. Uh, I'd love to have somebody that I could be intimate with here and I'm really attracted to you and we could be good friends and friends with benefits and that's not going to be a shocking new term to any young lady in America right now. I'm sure she's familiar with the phrase and she knows what it entails. And then you see what happens. And you say you're afraid of rejection. Well, you got to get the fuck over that. There's no pussy or dick for anybody unless they're willing to risk rejection. You just toss it out there and if she says, not interested, you say, hope this doesn't queer our relationship forever. Hope we can still be friends and it'll be awkward. Let's just power through the awkwardness and uh, be kind to each other and then salvage the friendship that really was there to begin with and made me think that maybe we could have an FWB relationship on top of it. But you got to be down with rejection. There's no way to avoid it. It happens to everybody who gets laid. The only people who don't have to face sexual rejection or face rejection and conquer their fear of rejection, the only people are people who don't have sex. Hello, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old heterosexual male. Um, I think I'm a fairly attractive individual. I'm fairly handsome. I'm well-educated, smart, very compassionate, uh, creative, and funny. Um, but as of yet, I still have not been in a serious um, relationship. Um, I'm not a virgin, but I'm still um, fairly sexually inexper inexperienced. And um, I'm very, you know consumed and a little bit obsessed with, you know, trying to get a girlfriend and trying to get laid and, uh, yeah, and it just kind of dominates my thoughts and I think that's oftentimes one of my obstacles because when I'm interacting with women, I'm oftentimes thinking, does she like me? Will she want, you know, to sleep with me or to date me, all those kinds of things and I'm not actually thinking, you know, who is this person? Like, how can I get to know her to feel, see if maybe we really have a connection? Um, so I just wanted to know what your thoughts are about that and how I can try to make more meaningful connections with women. 
So I understand there's I understand there's been a development since you recorded that question. Um, yeah, there has been a development. Um, basically, I decided that uh, you know I decided to try to just figure out you know like who you know if there was a person that I could go on a date with, and so I asked a a good friend of mine who was a lesbian, well bisexual, whatever. Anyway, I asked her if she knew anybody you know who might want to go on a date with me as a single girl. So. Um, you know, she recommended a friend of hers, and, you know, we met up on Sunday. Just this Sunday? This past Sunday. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had a nice time, and, uh, you know, we cuddled and kissed a little bit. And uh, we're supposed to be hanging out um, this Saturday. Okay, so why didn't it occur to you this whole, like, ask somebody out on a date strategy? Why didn't that occur to you before? Is it just because Love American um, Style isn't in rotation anymore in syndication anymore? Kids today just don't know that you can ask people out on dates? Well, actually, no. Well, I guess maybe I wasn't clear enough. Um, sorry, I'm a little nervous. Um, so, basically, I, um, I had asked this friend of mine if she knew anybody who, um, you know, who might want to go out with me. And so, uh, you know, and, then, and, I had, and I had asked other friends of mine before about it and a lot of times they're like well i don't know anyone or you know i don't really feel comfortable doing something like that yeah it is a lot to ask because if somebody sets you up on a date they're kind of vouching for you and taking responsibility for you yeah definitely and saying this is a good guy he's not a psycho killer rapist he's not going to chop you up and eat your heart Mm -hmm. and a lot of people aren't comfortable setting people up on blind dates because blind dates have a bad rap yeah. But again, like you say, so the problems you were having with women before, where were you trying to meet women before? You were just like hanging out at parties, trying to participate in hookup culture. What is it that you think you were doing wrong? I mean, I'm not saying, I've only made, you know, this is just one small step. Um, and an important one. I think one. it was, what'd you say? And an important one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this, just what I did just now is just I finally figured out the right friend of mine to ask to do this for me. Okay, so how come you've never asked out any other women, just directly? Oh. Girls you knew, girls you met at parties. You say you've talked to women, and you get a little too over-focused on, you know, pussy and hoping to get in their right. pants, and it, it scotches everything because they can sense your desperation or your oh. being manipulative, and you make them uncomfortable, right, in those moments. Well, I mean... So why didn't you well, ever I mean, just, no, like, I, say I mean, to I've one of those it. women, let's go out on a date sometime? You, you seem nice. Here's my number. Give me a call. I'd love to see you. Right. I mean, I have done that. Like, I have been on a good number of dates. It's just once I've been on the date, it's often been this, like, kind of focused thing. Like, I need to figure out if this person likes me and, you know, and then, you know, and, like, will this person hook up with me? And then sometimes, you know, we do hook up. You know, it's very rarely, you know, like, will it go to, like, a very, you know, it's just, you know, making out and, like, maybe some, you know, fingering or whatever. Um, So... And so then, like, later on, you know, then it'll just be increasingly difficult for me to see that person again. And then I think, I don't know. I don't think there was ever, like, you, you know, it's always consensual what happens. It's, but it's just kind of like I'll initiate something and they'll sort of go with it in the moment. And then maybe I think they said at the end, they're like, wow, you know, he moved too fast and he seems kind of desperate. So Okay, well, then you're self-aware enough now to know that you need to take it a little slower. And yeah. the goal isn't to get your hand intervaginal canal as quickly as possible because then that prevents you from getting anything else intervaginal canal at a later date so 
you, you, you obviously have identified this problem. You have made the women that will go out on dates with you or have gone out on dates with you uncomfortable by going too far too fast. Right. So you know there's something wrong with your game. So slow the fuck down. Okay. And, you know, keep your eye on the prize, if I may abuse that phrase, and, fo- and play a long game. You know, you might be excited by her tonight. You might really want to stick your fingers in her vagina tonight. But mm-hmm. pushing the issue tonight means you won't get your dick in her vagina a month from now and every day thereafter for the rest of your life. Right? Right. So you really, so you really don't need my help. You, you've solved this problem. You just need, in those moments, you need to, like, picture a little Dan Angel on your shoulder. Those okay. moments where you're like, oh, I could do this. I could get my, I, we could make out and I could get to third base. But yeah. you need to hold off and, and, hold, hold, and slow the fuck down. Because obviously when you get in that mood where you're like, oh, let's do it, let's go, let's go. Mm-hmm. You scare women away. Yeah. You make them uncomfortable. So stop doing that. Okay. And you might even want to try a little radical honesty. With the next woman you date, or even this woman, that, you know, in the past, uh, things felt rushed. You don't have to say, I rushed things. You don't have to say, hey, I'm a potential rapist, just so you know. Right. Just like, in the past, things have felt rushed, and that always kind of made everybody feel uncomfortable, right? So I just want to take things really slow. And I'd like to keep seeing you. And then see her, and go home, and beat off. And beat off before the date, too. So you're not just full of sexual tension, energy, and cum. So you say you said that that's a, that's a good idea. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I think I saw a video of you one time talking about how sometimes if maybe as it gets closer to when you know I might find myself in that kind of situation that like I should abstain from that kind of solitary behavior. <laughs> but in the earlier stages, you would recommend. Yeah, in the earlier stages, and and present it to the woman you're dating as. You're making a little bit of an effort for her to take it slower because you like her. And just say, you know, in the past when things have felt rushed, it, it, everyone, you know, it, can, it made me feel uncomfortable, them feel uncomfortable. So I just want to really take things slow. But please don't read anything to me wanting to take it slow about how I feel about you. I think you're nifty. Let's go out again and let's hang out. But let's take things slow and have a nice kiss goodnight and I'll keep my hands in my pockets. Yeah. And not your pussy. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, um, and then give us a call back sometime and give us a report. All right, thanks so much, Dan. Hi, Dan. The question is related to um to this guy I'm fooling around with wants um the guy I'm having sex with wants me to talk about other guys I've been with and talk about how big um how big their dicks are and how much I like that and he has sort of an average size dick which I actually prefer. Um, so it's a little hard for me to like make get really excited about guys with big dicks because I don't actually like it that much um, because it's sort of more awkward and uncomfortable for me to have sex with guys with big dicks. Um, I don't know, maybe I should say that. Uh, so anyway, my question is, I don't know if he wants me to compare him unfavorably um, to them, which I also don't, I want to I please him um, because I, I like him, but um, I don't feel that comfortable like, I don't know, I guess being sort of sadistic about about that because I actually usually like to compliment people and flatter them and make them feel good. So this is this is a a tough um a tough act uh to to play out. You like him. So the question is how far are you willing to go with this pretense 
this game, to please him sexually. You like average-sized dicks. He has an average-sized dick. You are getting the dick that you like. From this guy, who likes hearing about bigger dicks? It doesn't mean that then, when you're talking about bigger dicks, you have to run out and fuck bigger dicks. Uh, hopefully he's not also, because I think you wouldn't appreciate this, a cuckold fetish who wants to bring home hugely hung men and watch them fuck you. Although that's a possibility, and you might want to have a chat with him about how far this goes. But if you have a chat with him and his turn on is, you know, he always is a little insecure about the size of his penis and that transubstantiated uh, into this fetish where he's kind of aroused about feeling inadequate. And you can play this part every once in a while of a woman, you know, who is a little dissatisfied with his dick uh, and is talking dirty and down to him about his dick uh, while you remember for him the other bigger dicks you've had in the past. If that's a role you can step into and then jump out of, and he is willing to acknowledge, uh, is forced to acknowledge, that you love his dick and that you, his dick is plenty big for you and it's actually the kind of dick you like and prefer. Not all women like huge schlongs. If you can both compartmentalize this little drama and just let it be the fetish and turn on in the moment that it can be for him. And, you know, he's getting what he wants. You're getting the dick you want. Everybody's happy. Then you should be able to be together and have awesome sex with a little uh, masterpiece theater every once in a while. But if the end game for him, if the ultimate goal, the ultimate realization of his fetish is uh, cuckold scenarios or you having sex with other men uh, with bigger dicks and telling him about it, which is likely but not certain, then you might want to pull the plug now. So you need to sit him down and have a nice long chat about the extent of this fetish. Hey, Dan. Uh, 25-year-old bi dude in the uh, Midwest, and I've been dating this girl for about a little over six weeks now, and I recently told her that I am bisexual and, you know, just in an effort to be more honest and, you know, allow ourselves to become more close to each other. And initially there wasn't much of a response from her, but that was changed uh, about an hour or so ago when she told me that she was just really uncomfortable with that and uh, not sure if she could be with me anymore because of that. And you know, it's not the first time a response like this has happened from a straight woman or a uh, other gay male. And um, I can't help but wonder why the fuck do I share this information with them? It's um, it, it really hurts, you know. And uh, you know, I'm not really sure what to do or any of that. So I understand there's been developments, but I don't want you to tell me about whatever the developments might be until I tell you this. Okay. Okay. Being honest is good. Why do you share this info? Because, you know, you're only six weeks into it with this girl, right? Mm -hmm. When you broke the news. And you really don't want to invest much more time than that in someone who is disqualified from being your partner because they can't deal with being with you with your bi. You know, the other option is to hide, is to lie. All your life, hide this really intrinsic important part of your sexuality and who you are from your most intimate partner, that's not possible. So the fact that some people are scared off when you do the big reveal is 
as painful as it might be in the moment, is really to the good. Because then you're going to move on and you will find the girl who is okay with it or into it or the guy who's okay with it and into it. And the sooner you scare off the douchebags who are too biphobic to see their way clear to be with you, the sooner you'll find the right person or the sooner you'll lay this info on somebody who may have a biphobic freakout reaction at first, run away, say some idiotic things and then think about it. And come to their senses and see you not, uh, you know, see the quality person you are and also give you some credit for being honest about it and reconsider their biphobia. Right. And uh, so, so there's been a development. Now tell me what it is. Well, we've, uh, we've since broken up, um, I mean, completely. And her, that freak out was, it was pretty much just the tip of the iceberg of some, some really big self-centeredness. On her part? Yeah, yeah, on, on her part, everything had to be her way or no way. Well, then fuck her. You're well yeah, rid that's, of her. That's, <laughs> this, this, this reveal proved that she was not someone you could spend your life with, even if you were straight. Like, if she's got that kind of controlling psychosis, it wouldn't have just attached to your bisexuality. Right. Well, and, and that kind of comes to, like, a bigger question was, when the hell do you tell somebody this i mean I, I i felt like six weeks in was about the right time did she feel like you should have told her sooner yes and she wanted to know why i didn't tell her sooner and my reason was at that at the time that i told her we decided that we were going to become exclusive and she wanted to know if i had been seeing other people and i told her that i had and that i was willing to tell those other people to kind of hit the road. And then, and, and, then you, people, and then you let her know that one of those other people had a penis. Yes. <laughs> and her mind exploded. Well, good. Uh, her mind sounds like it had it coming. Now, uh, that said, you know, the, when is a good time to tell? You know, six weeks is a, a ways in. I, I'm pro-disclosure. You're HIV positive. You're bi. You're kinky. You're anything that isn't really the natural and understandable assumption. You know, well, why should right. I have to tell people I'm, I'm bi if straight people don't have to tell people they're straight? Well, because everyone's assumed to be straight, which really puts the onus on those of us who are not straight to open our mouths and say, ahem, please don't assume. Please don't make the assumption that's so rational I as a gay person make it. I meet people and I think they're straight until they tell me they're gay. There's nothing wrong with that. Because right. most people are straight. So I, think, I right. think disclosing is good and the earlier the better. What I wanted to challenge you on and get you on the phone about was – you say, as so many bisexuals have said uh, to me uh, and, then regretted, mm -hmm. and then regretted saying to me, that you get this reaction from straight women and gay men, as if straight women and gay men are your only options. And, and, and that is, that, that's something that I realize is not the case, because there's also bi, women, bi guys and bi girls. And yeah. bi girls. And I hear from them every fucking day in the email. There are straight women out there <laughs> who are as into watching a dude with a dude now as there seem to be straight guys who've always been into watching ladies with ladies uh i hear every day from women who are into bi guys who are themselves not bi you're just gonna have to find one it might, it might take a little more time but won't the payoff be worth it ultimately for you to be with somebody who not only isn't threatened by your bisexuality but is thrilled by your bisexuality oh yeah ab absolutely and i mean that it kind of just raises my own, uh, I guess, bisexual prejudices. 
you know, where I, I find that another person is, and, and I immediately doubt them, just because I've always been doubted because of it. Well, wait, wait a minute. You, when you meet somebody who says they're bi, you doubt they're bi? That's my initial reaction, because it just, even in myself, it doesn't make sense, because I just don't enjoy it. You don't enjoy being bi? No, because it... Because it because of the grief it brings into your life, into your dating life? Yes, and and because so many people that I date, at least I feel like they want me to be this way or that way, rather than the middle way. Mm-hmm. Again, everyone you date doesn't have to be a monosexual, as the bisexuals were saying about 15 years ago. You don't have to date just straight or gay. You can seek out bi's. It's interesting that you say that when you do meet bi's, you doubt their bisexuality. Why is that interesting? Well, it's just a strange kind of bank- like a lack of acceptance on my on my part. Bank shot projection, internalized biphobia. I'm not sure exactly what to call it. You know, bi guys, and I'll get in trouble when I say this out loud. Bi guys are rare, and uh, people have said that for years. And now the science is on our side. Bisexuality is a lot rarer in men than it is in women. So you're going to have more options if you go out there and date and look for bi women than uh, bi guys, and you're right, perhaps, to, when you meet a bi guy to think, eh, maybe not, because it is, I think, bi identity is rarer than some people think. Right, and, and, and I do, you know, I do absolutely give everyone the benefit of the doubt, as I hope most do with me. But I hope you're not the kind of bi guy who won't date bi guys or won't date bi girls. That's not what you're saying, is it? Oh, no. And, I mean, truthfully, the best relationships that I've been in have been with other buys because they just seem to understand, and they're much more just fluid sexually. Well, then why don't you just make that your deal-breaker? Like, pos guys I know who only date other pos guys because they don't want to deal with the guilt or anxiety about infection or their partner's anxiety about about being infected. And so they just say only other pies guys, even though they're limiting themselves to, if they're gay, a small minority of a small minority. Why not just say, I'm going to get away from this angst, from these kinds of freak out blow ups by the straight girls and the gay guys. And I'm just going to date bisexuals with whom I have a rapport and an understanding. And those relationships have been pretty awesome. Why not? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that is a great idea. I mean, it, it would very, it would make my dating pool a hell of a lot smaller, that's for sure. But a hell of a lot more copacetic, a hell of a lot less... Enjoyable, yes. And, and maybe, well, it, it, would, it would be worth trying. Why don't you try it and then give us a call back and let us know how it goes? And there's a lot of fucking bisexuals out there, especially bisexual women. There are yeah. lots. It's not that really, it's not that small a pool. By women. Yeah, that's a good point. We won't, we won't talk now about the hypocrisy of some bi women who are uncomfortable with bi men, but like their own bisexuality, and they're out there too. But there are tons of bi women out there, and I've met lots of bi guys, and it certainly has to be easier for a 25-year-old bi guy in your shoes single to meet other bisexuals than for a creepy old fag like me who's uh, got a reputation for being biphobic to meet bi guys. Yeah, it probably will be. Go for it. Uh, this, always, uh, this always blows my mind because whenever I suggest this to bisexuals, they're always a little like, oh, yeah, all oh, right. That never kind of – oh, right, dating bisexuals never really occurred to me. And, yet, and, and well, yet, when I pry, yet when I pry, you say, 
Oh, that's true. When I've had relationships with bisexuals, they've been really great. It's been great. So fuck straight people and gay people. Or don't fuck us. Go fuck <laughs> Go fuck your people. Not because, not because you know, I wouldn't want to fuck you if I met you. I probably would. I want to fuck everything. But maybe you'd be happier fucking your people. And instead yeah, of, instead well, of, feeling, know, instead it, of it, feeling like it, you've been... You're, you've been, like, put on a reservation and told you can't leave. Think of it as, like, you're evicting everybody else because we're too much grief, we boring monosexuals who ruin your life. Right, right. I guess, you know, it was, it's, a, it's just the, th- the third option that doesn't easily occur to me. Why is that? I don't understand. I I get letters every day from bisexuals bitching and bitching and bitching about gay people and straight people. And never do they, never. And then I say, what about other bi people? And I was like, oh, why is that? Well, well, you know, you know what it might be? Because, because society teaches us that sexuality is, is, uh, you know, gay or straight. And even bisexuals buy off on that? There well, you are it, with it, your it, face it, it, planted well, in some woman's pussy and a dick up your ass, and even you think that? I don't, I don't, well, kind of. It gets pounded into your head for so long. Internalized biphobia. That's what we have to call this now. When I get calls from people who are bi who are complaining about the gay men and straight women who are ruining their lives, it's just internalized biphobia that they don't even seem to consider the possibility that there are other bisexuals out there in the world that they could date, that they might be really happy with. Probably, probably, and I mean, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, the best relationships that I've had were with other buys. So go date other buys, unless, of course, what you're after uh, in your romantic life is complaining rights. Like I'm going to go fuck straight people and gay people so I can bitch about it because I'm bi, and what I really like to do is bitch about <laughs> straight people and gay people. Listen, go date some bisexuals and then give us a call back. You, in a year, a year from now, actually, we're going to put your phone number aside. In a year from now, I'm going to call you back. Okay. We're going to hunt your bisexual ass down <laughs> and find out how your year of dating bisexually went. All right. I, w- I will uh, I'll take you up on that challenge, Dan Savage. January 2012. Be by the phone. I will. I'll talk to you then. Bye. Hey, Dan Savage. I'm a male from the Pacific Northwest. I was calling to leave a comment for Podcast 220, the Transvestite Podcast. Um, A, thanks for kind of dealing with the question seriously instead of playing for cheap laughs, which is kind of your thing. Um, You know, I thought bringing Helen on brought a great perspective, but she maybe missed a few things uh, kind of from the male perspective that maybe could offer your callers some more insight. First, kind of terminology-wise, um, transgendered, obviously someone transitioning from male to female, but the term cross-dresser these days is more reserved for men who want to wear lady clothes, but they're not trying to affect a female appearance or anything like that, whereas a transvestite is not really a term of derision. It's kind of someone who's in between transgendered and cross-dresser who's not interested in living full-time as a woman, but find some sort of psychological psychological or sexual satisfaction appearing as a woman from time to time. And that, I mean, that's what I'm calling because I identify as a transvestite. And, you know, despite Helen's experience, you know, it's not uncommon for straight and bisexual men to, you know, quote-unquote, stay cross-dressers and transvestites and never want to transition. And 
there's certainly some sexual exploring in there. You know, I'm bisexual, but it's the occasional piece of pack on the side and not the waiting to be gay bisexual. And, you know, I think the DSM has a term for it, men who want to have sex, but only when they're seen as a lady. Um, but, you know, my primary and emotional sexual interest is women. And that's common for a lot of my friends who share my wardrobe-related hobbies. So, you know, it's not that uncommon. The larger point being, it's not that uncommon for men to not be gay, to not be transsexual, to just be cross-dressers and transvestites. And that's our thing. And, you know, a lot of women find that you know, interesting. And all that said, you know, I, though I don't really think your caller should date this guy, he sounds like a bit of a mess, like he needs to figure some stuff out. And he probably needs to figure that out on his own. And, you know, sometimes having the hovering hyper-supportive girlfriend there makes it harder to figure that stuff out. So she should probably break up with him, you know, not do it because he's a cross-dresser or a transvestite, but just because he hasn't figured out who he is yet and he needs to figure that out. Hi, I'm calling about Savage Love episode 220 about the guy who um, had a picture of himself on Facebook, his 13-year-old nephew found. Um, I just want to say, I don't know if you're aware of this, Dan, because I don't think you're a Facebook user, but you can, and there, there's an option between completely befriending his nephew and um, saying, here I am, look at everything I have. You can make your profile restricted, which I actually think is a good idea. If you're an adult and you have a 13-year-old nephew, like, I seriously doubt you want everything in your Facebook to be available to that nephew, or at least I'm... 21, and I have five nieces who are under five, and by the time I'm older, if I still have Facebook, I would definitely put them under strict access, because I just would feel more comfortable that way, and there's things that my brothers don't need to know about my life, and vice versa, and I'm not saying that he should be ashamed of his pictures, they're already in, like, I'm not saying your advice is off base at all, I'm just saying that it makes sense to me, like, why doesn't he put his pictures on uh, restricted access so that other people can see him on his Facebook, but his nephew can't? and then, um, or any other kind of salacious stuff. And that way he can go out, for example, and go to a party and do whatever he wants and then not have to worry that he's going to get a call from his sister complaining that his nephew saw so many pictures of him drunk or something. So just an idea. You can always make your uh, Facebook profile limited access to certain people so that they don't see inappropriate things. Of course, another thing to do is I'm not friends with any adults in my life on Facebook, which makes those things a lot easier. I love your podcast. Thank you so much. Bye. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you, everyone, for your calls and your comments and your questions. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to give us a call and leave a question or comment of your own. And now to take us out of this week's Savage Lovecast, here's a little more of Rebecca Drysdale's It Gets Better. It 